Welcome to episode 173 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at the two-part premiere to season 8, Within and Without. These episodes aired on November 5th and 12th of the year 2000, respectively. And these were the last two episodes of the original run that I did not watch in broadcast. I was overseas at the time and had the VCR preset to record, well, a good six months in advance, actually. I was doing my master's in Switzerland and set the VCR for the season seven finale. Actually, the last two episodes of season seven, and then the same time slot the first few Sundays of November, hoping that it would just return onto the usual schedule and I wouldn't miss anything, which worked out, at least for me. This is the launch of the first season where David Duchovny does not appear as a regular. He is in these two episodes, and he's in the opening credits when we see that it's actually Duchovny as Mulder and not just some generic spirit form falling into the eyeball in the opening credits. And we also have a new face in the opening credits that we'll get to in a moment. So the FBI is now conducting a manhunt to track down the missing Agent Mulder, completely disregarding the statements from Scully and Skinner as the new deputy director, Kirsch, is laying down the law and saying, okay, we're not going to have anything in these reports that's going to embarrass the FBI, including alien abductions or anything like that. We are just going to find Mulder. And he has assigned John Doggett to lead the task force to do that. Scully and Skinner have to go down and be debriefed by Doggett. Skinner is taken to the back of the office immediately, Whereas the person sitting next to Skelly on the bench starts a little bit of chit-chat with her, claims to have known Mulder quite some time ago but hasn't spoken to him recently, and is making some comments that don't sit right with Skelly and doesn't make it feel to her like he's ever met the guy. She calls him out on it and actually throws a glass of water in his face, because this is John Doggett. And she finds he wasn't treating herself or Mulder with a huge amount of respect. As the search continues, someone uses Mulder's key pass to break into the FBI and steal some files. Scully also recognizes that her phone is tapped, and her landlord says that, yeah, this man that she saw in the building that she just chased was Mulder. When they realize that the missing files are those on Gibson Praise, and Skinner and Scully head down there, based on information from the lone gunman, saying this is where the UFO was landing, John Doggett and his team also go down there because Doggett was slipped the file that had been stolen from the FBI. So it looked like maybe Mulder's being framed for it or Mulder is leading Doggett to it. Somebody is leading him around. They all converge in the Arizona desert to try and find Gibson Praise, who is now living in a school for the deaf. And he is taken from that school by what initially appears to be Mulder and they are tracked down by Doggett at the top of a cliff. End of part one. In part two, apparently Mulder lets Gibson Praise escape before jumping off the cliff and then getting up and walking away, or actually running away when people aren't looking. This is when Scully clues in that this hasn't been Mulder, this is one of the alien bounty hunters. So while this is going on, Skinner hears Doggett reporting to Kirsch, and he starts to realize that, yeah, Doggett has a reputation for being a great agent, 
one who may be in the director chair someday. Scully has already done her research on him, so we know he's an ex-Marine, ex-cop, but he's by the book, but with zero belief in the supernatural. And Skinner realizes that Dog is probably a decent guy being manipulated. So he is not one of the players in the game. He's a pawn who's been set up to fail so that a good man like him doesn't rise through the ranks because that would disrupt the agendas of some of those above him. When Skelly disappears, having followed one of Gibson Praise's friends and found her, they start looking for someone identifies Skelly as being in the barracks while the real Skelly walks up from outside and Doggett and Skinner see her. They realize that's the alien bounty hunter, although Doggett still doesn't quite believe in that. Chase her inside and another agent gets attacked by the fake Scully. That agent ends up in the hospital. Scully and Skinner find praise. Skinner takes him to the hospital, not realizing he's being followed by Doggett's agents, which leads the alien bounty hunter directly to them. The bounty hunter assaults Skinner, who ends up damaged to his face, captures Gibson praise, and tries to capture Scully, but Gibson manages to warn her silently through his reflection, and she does the kill shot in the back of the neck, killing the alien bounty hunter. By the time Doggett arrives, it's a pile of unidentified green goo, but Praise is rescued, and Scully and Skinner are both hospitalized, as was the agent who's recovering, and it ends with Doggett keeping Scully apprised of the case and the progress so far, because he has just been officially assigned to work the X-Files. So this is a very strong opener, and one that walks a very fine line, because we know David Duchovny is not going to be back full-time. So Duchovny is present here, although the only scenes we see of Mulder are him in the alien ship as the subject of torture and experiments. So Mulder's absence is felt, and he's still a key part of the show's DNA going forward, even though it's not on screen. And Scully has taken on the role of the believer, finally, with Doggett as the skeptic. Now we get a number of guest stars in this episode. Brian Thompson returns as the alien bounty hunter, although this is his last time appearing in that role. Sal Landy is one of the agents. He's got 109 acting credits to his name going back to 1981. A lot of guest stars in notable shows. This is his second of three appearances on The X-Files. He was uncredited as Detective Kadri in Closure and will appear again as a third character in his third episode, Release Down the Road. He's also been in General Hospital, Young and the Restless, and a number of other shows. Now, James Pickens Jr. has returned as Kirsch. We've seen quite a bit from him in the past, and we'll see more down the road as we're going. He actually has more episodes ahead of him than behind him at this point. Now, Kirk B.R. Walder appears as Agent Gene Crane. This two-parter marks his first pair of appearances on The X-Files, but he's actually going to have five as Agent Gene Crane by the time it's already done. He's got 106 credits to his name, including Poseidon, Flight Plan, Hulk, that's Ong Lee's Hulk, and Resident Evil Extinction. Now, Jeff Gulka returns as Gibson Praise. We've discussed his career in the past. This two-parter is Jonathan Palmer's only appearance in the X-Files as the school principal. 
and yet it's number two on his known four list, along with roles as Reporter 1 in The Muppets, three different characters on Avenue 43, and Principal Quincy Primo in Spider Games. 41 credits to his name still working, but nothing that really jumps out. So Mark Gomez plays Agent Danny Mosley. He was coming into this after playing Detective Derry Albrecht in 22 episodes of Crow Stairway to Heaven. He'd previously appeared in an episode of Babylon 5. Also, Sue Thomas FBI, Divas, and Hidden Blessings to round out his IMDb also known for. Christine Ferkins plays Tia Srecker, that's Gibson's friend. Her only other acting credit is as Drew in Speed 2 Cruise Control. Now, Marty Zagon, who plays the landlord, Mr. Coben, in this one, this is actually his final IMDb acting credit. The IMDb doesn't list any reasons why. Uh, he was born in 1925, so if he is still with us, he'd be 94 years old. And he's got 46 acting credits to his name, including The Cable Guy, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, and Remington Steel. Now, Joanne Dean plays the school secretary. This is only her second of two acting credits. And there's quite a bit of time in between them. She was in this two-parter in the year 2000. Her only other acting credit show is a Reddit dancer in the Honeymooners spoof on the Red Skelton show in 1955. But she has also worked as things like deaf talent consultants and so forth. So I suspect she was hired specifically for her talents working with the deaf actors and actresses at the School for the Deaf. Now, Dondre Whitfeld plays an just unnamed agent, but he's gone on two more, 57 credits to his name, including playing Remy Newell in Queen Sugar. He's also known for roles in Mr. 3000, The Event, All My Children, and Nash Bridges. And then finally, The Elephant in the Room. With Duchovny leaving and the FBI working in partners, we needed a new partner for Scully. And the tough part about that is, if you try to make them a straight-up Mulder replacement or knockoff, audiences are almost guaranteed not to accept them. So the scene where Scully throws water in Doggett's face to start off antagonistic and to really set Doggett apart from Mulder was done deliberately to say, this is not a replacement for Mulder, this is just another character. So they looked at a number of actors to play this part. Under consideration were Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Lou Diamond Phillips, D.B. Sweeney, Dominic Purcell, Bruce Campbell, Hart Bachner, S.I. Morales, Craig Sheffer, and probably more. Those are just the ones listed in The Complete X-Files behind the series The Myths and the Movies by Matt Hurwitz and Chris Knowles. But after seeing all of those people, Robert Patrick walked in the room and the part was his. It was very clear from the start. He was John Doggett. Now, John Doggett was named in a homage of sorts. Dana Skelly was named after Vin Scully, and Vin Scully's partner in sports casting that Chris Carter was a big fan of was Jerry Doggett. So it made sense to Chris Carter to make that in-joke and reference and put the two together. Now, prior to this, Robert Patrick was, and quite possibly still is, best known for playing the T-1000, the liquid metal Terminator from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. 
He'd also played Coach Joe Willis in The Faculty, would later play Ray Carter in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. He played the quote-unquote bad cop in Wayne's World, clearly the T-1000 again, just for the joke. That's what he's listed for in the also-known-for section on the IMDb. To me, he's also stood out as one of the terrorists from Die Hard 2, Die Harder, and he played Major John Skokes in two episodes of The Outer Limits, the 1995 series, specifically Quality of Mercy and The Light Brigade, which were two of the better episodes. And by that, I mean going to the IMDb user scores, his first episode of The Outer Limits, Quality of Mercy, is the best episode of that series. And while I haven't seen the whole series, I'm working through it, it is definitely the best of those I've seen. Now, this is a man, when he was playing the T-1000, spent a lot of time in a firing range training himself to fire guns without blinking, specifically to appear less human and stranger on screen. And he's done some great work here. He steps in the room and I don't see the T-1000. I see John Doggett. And you're not supposed to like him off the bat, but you do come to appreciate and respect him. He's just taking the world as it comes to him. He's been assigned to the X-Files, and it is what it is. But he is a good officer, so this is definitely setting the series in a new direction. And it's going to be a very new direction. We're soon going to see a setup for a completely new mythology. As Chris Carter felt, it's best to go in a new direction with the new cast and sort of reestablish the series on its own. And in addition, we've talked in the past about how Chris Carter had Millennium and Harsh Realm running at Fox as well. And both of those series have ended, Millennium after three seasons, Harsh Realm after just nine episodes. And it was that nine-episode cutoff that kept Chris Carter tied into his deal with Fox so he couldn't go produce anything new. So as we're going through season eight, we will also be including his next spinoff, which is The Lone Gunman, which he agreed to do on the condition that no matter what the ratings were, Fox aired all 13 episodes, which is why one of them ends up in July. He kind of had to fight to get them to conform to that contract. So once that was satisfied, then the show was able to continue and he could move on and do other projects at will. So we for the most part, we'll be dealing with The Lone Gunman and X-Files this season in broadcast order. The exceptions are the season finale and the episode that aired in July. So the episode that aired in July is going to be the one that we discuss in place of the season finale, just because it was a standalone and because that season finale ended on a cliffhanger that ended up being the series finale, and that gets picked up and wrapped up in an episode of The X-Files. So we will deal with that series finale right before The X-Files picks up where that story left off. Anyway, that's all we have to say about Within and Without, aside from the initial statistics, which I just realized we missed. Both episodes are actually still scoring 8.5 out of 10 on the IMDb. The action primarily takes place in Arizona, with some of it set in Washington. And yeah, we've already covered the original air dates, just forgot the scores and locations. So with that said, join us again in two weeks' time for Patience. Thank you for listening.